Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of Tech Swamp. We have an exciting new addition to your host roster and membership team here today. Please welcome to the podcast, Gary Cuesta, our new membership manager. Hey, Gary. Hey, everyone. Um, and we've also got Caitlin. What up? You know, just membership chilling. <laughs> and of course, this is Alex. Today, we're sitting down with our president, Morgan Reed, and our senior director for public policy and friend of the podcast, Graham Default, to talk through all of our telehealth congressional testimony from the past month. But first, we're going to quickly talk tech history and run through some DC headlines. So, September 22nd. 1986, computer code is finally protected by copyright. That's right, the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California rules that computer code is protected under copyright law. The ruling stems from the case NEC Core versus Intel Core, which was basically a battle over who had the right to produce x86 processors. The ruling, while finding that Intel had copyright protection for the code in their processors, also found that reverse engineering code was also legal, and therefore NEC did not violate Intel's copyright in producing their own x86 processors. This ruling that code could be copyrighted changed the landscape of software and computer development. And that's all for tech history. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in DC. Caitlin and Gary, what are some of the top tech headlines? So this Friday, the White House will host a 5G listening session with several companies that are involved with 5G. Nearly 150 people are expected to attend the meeting, and it's going to focus on the administration's policies, like tax reform and deregulation across agencies, have helped move the U.S. closer to 5G. Now, what will not be discussed is a nationalized approach to a 5G rollout. This meeting is coming shortly after President Trump announced another round of tariffs on about $200 billion worth of Chinese goods, including gear that is essential to 5G rollout and implementation. That's right. Major companies like Google, Dell, and IBM say that tariffs will increase costs on semiconductors, cell tower radios, modems, and other products that are essential to the 5G build-out. It's important to remember that 5G implementation does not mean we can download movies in a few seconds. It's technology that has the ability to support the growing number of connected devices in everyday lives, and it's laying the foundation for the next generation of connected infrastructure. And speaking of 5G, we recently teamed up with the Congressional 5G Caucus to host a Hill event called the 5G Factor, weighing the economic benefits of 5G. This is where we unveiled our white paper on 5G deployment and described the economic impact that 5G can have on small businesses. FCC Commissioner Carr was at the event. We discussed the paper's findings, unpacked the benefits uh, that 5G networks will have for small business app developers, and reminded the audience that without robust wireless data networks, um, we will not see the spread of entrepreneurship and small mobile software firms that basically thrive in every congressional district. Um, For more information on this event, please go to our show notes. After a meeting with IBM, Intel, and several other companies on Monday, the White House rolled out a new strategy for strengthening quantum information science in an effort for the U.S. to be leaders in the next generation of supercomputing technology. And the Energy Department Department announced that they will be allocating about $218 million into 85 different quantum-focused research projects at multiple universities and national laboratories. The White House stressed the importance of taking a science-first approach when it comes to quantum research. 
One more tidbit from the White House. An executive order has been drafted that could take aim at top tech companies like Twitter and Facebook. The order would direct the Department of Justice to investigate whether tech companies have violated antitrust laws by censoring content on the basis of political bias. Senator John Thune, chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee, is considering a single federal framework when it comes to consumer privacy laws. This action could be inspired by California's privacy law passed earlier this year that could trigger a patchwork of state-by-state privacy laws. Now, Thune's plan for a nationwide privacy standard would make it easier for companies to comply by giving them one piece of legislation to work with compared to 50. So before we sign off what's brewing, here are some congressional hearings of note, other than the ones we testified in. Wednesday, September 26th, the Senate Commerce Committee holds a hearing titled Examining Safeguards for Consumer Data Privacy to examine privacy policies of top tech and communications firms and review their current consumer data privacy policies. This hearing will get the ball rolling on Chairman Thune's plans for a nationwide privacy law by discussing privacy practices of leaders in the tech community and examining what Congress can do to promote privacy expectations without hurting innovation. And Thursday, September 27th, the Judiciary Committee will hold another hearing as part of the nomination process for Brett Kavanaugh. Recently, several allegations of sexual misconduct have come to light, and the Senate will hear from one accuser, Dr. Christine Ford, as well as Kavanaugh himself. The committee plans to vote on Kavanaugh's nomination early Friday. And that's all for what's brewing in D.C. Today we're sitting down with our president, Morgan Reed, and our senior director for public policy and friend of the podcast, Graham Dufault, to talk through our testimony from this past month. Hey, guys. Hello. 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 Um, So, Graham, I want to start with you. Um, How does this work? Like, how do we get selected to testify for Congress on anything? That's a good question. Uh, Well, in this case, uh, the App Association has been a leader in this area. This is really about folding in technological tools into the continuum of care, into healthcare, And there's a lot that goes into that. Um, Because we've been leaders for five years, Congress knows about it, but we do have to go in and talk to staff and reiterate our positions, reiterate our goals, and really educate them on what our member companies are doing with the Connected Health Initiative. And sometimes our members help with that when they come in for our fly-in and for meetings on the Hill and that sort of thing, right? It's a, it's a major part of what puts us at the top of somebody's mind when they're putting together a hearing. So they meet with similar staff when our, when our members are in town. These are the staff that our member companies meet with when they come to the fly-in. These are the staff that are putting together the hearings and want to push the ball forward when it comes to health care. You know? awesome. And, for, and for, the, for the first hearing, we, we heard from staff partly because we meet with them pretty often and talk to them about what is Connected Health doing for patients? What is Connected Health doing to drive value for taxpayers? Um, and the other part was the fly-in and seeing the actual examples. We, we, have, um, uh, uh, we have showcases where staff can come in and look at the, the really interesting things that our member companies are doing. Um, and that's another part of it. And so being able to hearken back to that and think about the, the shared goals that we have with, uh, with Congress in terms of moving to value-based care and the entire Medicare system going from fee-for-service to reimbursing based on quality and cost-effectiveness, um, that's what that first hearing was really about, was what are the barriers to it, and we have a lot of expertise there. 
And the first hearing was with the House Energy and Commerce Committee? That's right. And yep. what was that one called? That one was called Examining Barriers to Expanding Innovative Value-Based Care in Medicare. And so when we think about that, we're thinking about what are the, what are the uh, billing codes that cover uh, tech-driven tools, you know? And we were instrumental in getting the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services to adopt the latest billing codes that will help providers actually use these kinds of tools. Um, it doesn't make sense that, you know, uh, providers are, are able to reimburse for a situation where a patient comes in to see them, you know, when they're sicker, uh, but not reimburse for being able to monitor that patient, being able to converse and engage with that patient where they are at home. Definitely. And be able to like catch catch the issue before it becomes too bad. And the second hearing, which was this week, so one was on the thirteenth of the September. First one was on the thirteenth. Second one was yesterday, which was the Senate Help Committee. So Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, and it was the the Health, the Primary Health Subcommittee. That one was a little different format. It was a, a round table. But I would say that on a square table, though. At a square table. We don't need to make any sense. Rounded edges. We're all grown ups here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so that was a slightly different format, but similar topic, I would have to say. It, it was really focused on rural health care, but it was about um, what are the issues uh, that rural patients and rural providers face. And it turns out that they are often the same thing, but it's exacerbated in rural areas because there's greater distance um, and fewer physicians out in, out in rural areas. 20% of the rural pop, uh, of Americans live in rural areas, but only 10% of physicians practice out there. Um, and then on down the line, the statistics kind of add up uh, against rural areas when it comes to healthcare. Yeah. So. so, before we jump into the nitty gritty of the testimony, could you just give our listeners like what goes into getting ready to testify before Congress? Well, it's a it's a big team effort because you've got um, as soon as you get the notice that we are going to be testifying and Morgan is going to be testifying. Uh, we start the writing process. So it's really important to get something on paper uh, that draws on uh, all, all of our goals and all of the, all of the uh, activities that we've been uh, undertaking at CMS and at HHS um, and putting them on paper. And then you start to start to play with it and, and turn it into something that is um, kind of a, a large composed piece. I think it was 22 pages. Uh, it's an opportunity to get a lot of stuff on the record. And so the, the written testimony usually ends up being pretty long. Um, but I, I would say the most important part is making sure that we are telling the member company story, stories. And so we are looking at the districts of the, of the members of the committee. Um, you know, in the case of the senators, we're looking at the folks in the states where they, where they are from and uh, in our membership and making sure that we are telling the stories that, that, uh, for them and making sure that we do it the right way. And so when Morgan is testifying for Congress, is he like reading from that longer testimony? No, actually. This is a total separate process. (laughs) It's a a good point because so we start with the oral testimony, which is a couple of pages, you know, 800 words, I think is what our target is. This time we started with like 950 and then we whittled down from there. Um, It's a long process to get it right because um, testifying in front of Congress is is kind of a skill you have to... um, uh, you have to, you know, align our goals with con- with the members of the committee's goals. Make sure that we are telling the stories of the members that are in their districts. To make sure that they, you know, have a stake in what's going on during the hearing. Uh, and you want to make sure that everything 
we need to get on the record is on the record first and foremost. In five minutes or less. In five minutes or less. And then the, each each member has five minutes of questions. Uh, so you so also you have to sure. prep to answer those questions. You have to sort of be ready for anything. Some of them can be unpredictable. Yeah. You know, each member has um, you know bills that they've introduced and an agenda of their own. And, and they were elected to do a job. And um, so they're going to be asking questions that, that serve the interests of, of, uh, of their office. Absolutely. So Morgan, you did the actual testifying. I want to turn to you. Can you talk us through some of um, the goals you really wanted to make sure Congress heard from you um, and some of what you think the key, key aspects of your testimony was? Well, first of all, I think as uh, hopefully all your listeners understand, um, you know, being the person who gets to sit at the chair is is nice, but it really is something that um, every person in this office plays an enormous role in. Anytime you're going to speak to the White House or speak to uh, Congress, um, you've got a situation where the whole team plays a huge part in getting the information up front that needs to be said. But it all really boils down to a couple of key factors, and that is what's going to make a difference for Americans and getting the quality of health care that they want. I think everybody out there who's listening to this, we all know health care in America costs too much. It's not the quality that people want. Uh, and and physicians are, are suffering burnout. I mean, let's put some hard numbers at that. Uh, right now, we're going to be 90,000 physicians short wow. by 2025. And we are going to have 70 million Americans over the age of 65 by 2030. So we have too many people who are too old and not enough doctors. And, oh yeah, by the way, nobody gets reimbursed for particularly good digital health tools. So when you look at an environment where we know people aren't happy with what they've got, the doctors aren't happy doing their jobs, and patients aren't getting the kind of care that gives them the outcome that they want, um, somebody has to step in. Now, what's really interesting, um, before the podcast, we were talking a little bit about this, and you said, well, Morgan, does technology solve the problem? Well, no, of course not. What technology does is facilitate the solution. Um, the only thing that solves healthcare is is getting people what they need to either get healthy or stay healthy. And so, if technology provides a path so that if you're 90,000 physicians short, then there's some other way for you to get treatment. Or if there if there's uh, 70 million Americans over the age of 65, 80% will have one chronic condition or another, then you have some way to say, hey, um, don't forget to take your meds. Or, hey, it's time to do your PT. Or, hey, I, I noticed that you're, um, you're not doing a lot of walking and your activity is low. How are you feeling? Because one of the huge components in health, we think of health being broken limbs, cancer, uh, all these things, but mental health is a huge aspect. Uh, when we look at the opioid crisis, its connection to mental health is huge. And yet, when we talk about all these things, all these solutions are based around the idea of you go to see a doctor. Well, many Americans have a hard time getting to see a doctor, either for distance, for economics, for time, for family reasons. And yet all of those people who can't make it to the doctor, they've all got a smartphone. There's a great stat about that too, yeah. right? R roughly we have 350 million connected devices in the United States, but only 315 million people. So more so devices than people. We have more connected devices than people. So 
what's ironic is is that every one of your these li- every every one of our listeners on this podcast has in their pocket a supercomputer that can connect them up with a physician that can collect information that can provide insights to their health and yet the only way the physician gets paid for it is that they haul you into their office sit you down let you read bad magazines for a while and then hopefully um, get a chance to uh, see you person to person face to face for what five minutes 15 if you're really lucky um, that's just dumb and so what I'm trying to communicate, what we're all trying to communicate to Congress is don't look at technology as a solution. Look at technology as a facilitator to getting the outcomes we want. Healthy people that stay healthy. And I think it's a huge shout out to a lot of the companies that we have in our organization, folks like Remedy, folks like Podometrics, Startup Health, that understand that facilitation, that are there to be that connective piece between the patient and their care. And now my job is to go to Congress and say, okay, get it done. Whether it's eliminating barriers created by HIPAA, whether it's finding pathways for reimbursements by creating new codes, or whether it's by um, haranguing the HHS to stop the kind of info blocking that prevents us from having true interoperability, um, Congress ultimately plays a role. Um, I don't know how many of the listeners listeners are aware of this, but right now the United States state spends real roughly three trillion dollars a year on healthcare. One trillion dollars of that flows through the government. A trillion dollars, and the fact that that trillion dollars is not taking advantage of the technology that's in everyone's pocket is just insane. So my job is to, without using words like insane or stupid, get in front of Congress and very <laughs> politely say, "Hey guys." and ladies, um, how about we make some tweaks to uh, try to improve outcomes for your constituents? And so ultimately it's about speaking their language. Um, We joked that our original testimony had 44 different acronyms in it. Well, if I just stand in front of Congress and, and spout acronyms, that has no impact. My job is to tell the story of healthcare in their district or in their state. Because if I do that and I do it right, then they can look at the legislation that, that's in front of them and say, oh, I see the benefit of this for my people. And ultimately, that's where they're really headed. Um, I thought it was the second hearing, the Senate hearing, was um, really fascinating from the rural perspective. Um, it was a lot of discussion about just how desperate rural America is right now for high-quality care. Um, the witness from Wyoming was talking about the fact that they only have a hundred they have 157 physicians for every hundred thousand people that's it so this isn't a matter of it costs too much this is a matter of there's just no doctors to be had and so when you consider that I don't think the 500,000 people who live in Wyoming don't deserve care so that's where I have to step in and our industry has to step in and say how do we get care to those people in a way that works for them because I don't think it's fair to basically shove them aside and say well you don't deserve to have proper health care and so I thought it was really interesting to listen to the other witnesses and to kind of hear from an insurance commissioner and other people working in the field of rural health care and then be able to kind of plug in to borrow a tech term and say hey let's consider how this could help Let's look at how do we do remote patient monitoring? How do you take, um, for example, uh, information about uh, folks with 
type 2 diabetes and foot ulcers from a podometrics mat? How does Remedy or, uh, uh, you know, engage with a diabetic patient? How do you look at some of startup health companies and say, oh, here's how you can deal with mental health issues that arise in a place like Wyoming when you're a long way from anyone else and it's dark in the winter? Um, there are enormous issues that those folks are facing and they deserve fair, high quality treatment no matter where they are. Some of that's reimbursement, some of that's uh, elimination of bad regulation, and some of it's making sure that, um, that Medicare and Medicaid funding makes sense. The fact that it only pays 65% of the actual cost of care is insane. Um, one of the witnesses uh, next to me noted that essentially they lose roughly $100,000 on every patient in a state like Wyoming. That's just not practical, and um, we have to find a solution. So my job was to be uh, a ray of sunshine in the room, talk about some of the uh, openings that were available, and to be there to offer our help rather than, um, than to just uh, berate people. And I just want to point out, so, um, you know, you've talked about sort of the large number of devices for people, um, but I think it's also worth noting that the Senate help um, hearing rural is in the title and we talk about rural in a different aspect a lot here at the app association right um in regards to sort of yep access to broadband so in those rural areas senator hassan of new hampshire raised that issue during the hearing she said you know i'd love to use digital medicine but there are huge chunks of my state where they just don't have coverage so we got to talk a little bit about um the need for high-speed internet all in all areas and and we talked a little bit about the use of unlicensed spectrum through tv white spaces to try to provide people that aren't close to a metropolitan area with truly high-speed internet and you know I think everybody on this audience but I want to reiterate it it's not about getting a fast YouTube video um, for example I, I we can pull the number some other time but roughly uh, the number of Americans who are going to end up with knee replacements is exploding right now as we have an aging population and as knee replacement surgery gets better this is going to happen more and more the number one predictor of success for a knee replacement surgery is do you do your physical therapy? Mm. Do you do your PT? Well, if you're two hours away from any kind of care facility, um, how often do you think that 65-year-old man who's just had a double knee replacement is going to make it to that clinic, hurts to drive, probably not particularly drive. happy, can't drive? How is he going to get there um, and do his PT? Well, guess what? You can use a modified Xbox and uh, a Kinect camera to actually do that, that PT with the person. And some of it's nagging, some of it's conjoling, some of it's being a friend. Every listener of this podcast knows you're much more likely to go to the gym if somebody's like, hey, I'll meet you there. Right? The number one thing you can do is go to the gym with a friend. Well, how do I put a friend in your house when it's time to do your PT? How do you have somebody that watches the stress meter on your brace that says, you know what, you can go further. You made it to 92%, uh, I want to see 93. Well, if the person on the other end of that connection can be there for you and say, Mr. Jones, one more time. Mr. Jones probably hates you at the end of that session, but he made it. He made that 1% gain, and the next day he'll make another 1% gain, and the next day, and the next day, until he's walking without a limp, and he says to himself, you know what, this is just as good as the knee I had before. So when you look at the way those solutions roll out, it is something where high-speed connection, where, where real face-to-face, real-time connections are valuable and valid for the performance of care. 
That is great. Um, I want to thank both of you, Morgan and Graham, A, for all of your work on these two really important hearings, um, but also for being on the podcast and telling us about it. Thank you, guys. Always a joy. Thank you. Thanks. And now it's time for our random identifier. Today we have the newest addition to the ACT team, Gary. What's going on, Gary? Everything's good. Glad to be here. Third day in, I'm on a podcast, so we're doing pretty well. Yeah, pretty crazy. (laughs) Um, So tell us something. Tell us something. What is your random identifier for this first ever Tech Swamp episode of yours? Well, mine is the fact that I am very overly obsessed with the fact that we're totally getting out of summer because I Mm -hmm. don't do well in heat. Got it. I don't like it. And I thrive more in the winter. I kind of reverse hibernate. When it's below 45 and cloudy, I feel alive. When it's sunny in in 85, I just want to crawl into a corner and just listen to music and do nothing else. Oh my goodness. So I am thrilled to actually want to be participating out in life with other human (laughs) beings rather than lock myself in because I don't want to be a sweat ball and walk into a wall of humidity. Got it. I get it. I feel really basic now because, like, I like fall because I have cute jackets and boots. <laughs> and, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I drink my fair share of pumpkin spice lattes. I just, yeah. like, can't help it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, just... it's, it's deep and it's real. It's yeah. just... So you like fall, but, like, prefer, like, really winter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Once once, it's, once they get into where more... The more people start complaining about the weather, I know... The happier you are. That's, like, the happier exactly. you are. Mm-hmm. Got it. This is good to know about you, Carrie. This is, uh, this is good. <laughs> Um, okay, Caitlin, what about you? So, I am really taken with... (laughs) We have opposite opinions on this. Yeah. I have no idea about this yet. I will see this after this podcast. I am very interested and also terrified. Of Gritty. The Philadelphia... (laughs) Philadelphia Flyers' new mascot is literally from my nightmares, but also... (laughs) He is absolutely from my nightmares. This this is just an insane looking mascot. I don't I hope that everyone can know what I'm speaking about when I'm talking about Gritty. We're we're gonna include we gotta include it. Yeah, it's gonna be in the show notes. I will link to all of the horrible, awful tweets about Gritty. Um but Gritty is like this crazy new mascot that the Philadelphia Flyers walked out earlier this week that literally is just an orange monster mm-hmm. with like crazy googly eyes. They move. And the yeah, the eyes move. It's important um, to know that they 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 he move. Looks crazed as all hell. the time. <laughs> he looks like he could murder you. He does. I would enjoy. <laughs> but I love it. I don't I like love it. it. Yeah, I think he would like murder. I I don't like it. It makes me so nervous. <laughs> he did threaten to kill the um the the Pittsburgh Penguins mascot. I mean, come on. It said he Makes said sense like now, full sleep. Circle. Sleep with one eye open, bird, and then it was like a picture of his like haunting face. No, I don't like it. I'm so <laughs> taken by Gritty, and like whoever's doing the social media behind Gritty, I really, they really are, appreciate. They are great because it's just it's building a narrative I about know, Gritty that right. I really believe <laughs> and love. I also can't lie, like the memes thus far, they're not even they're really just like gifts or like, yeah. but the way that the internet has sort of taken Gritty and yeah. making. Gritty their own. I do appreciate that. Gritty, I think, as an as just an individual with no context is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Gritty with the personality that the internet has mm-hmm. given him is what makes me like him. Moving on from that, I'm, like, getting past it. It's fine. But then, like, Duncan... I mean, here's the thing. Okay, so Dunkin' Donuts is, like, they're basically saying that they're officially changing their name to Duncan, right? Which, like, on the one hand, I call them Duncan. Like, I would be lying if I said I say yeah. Dunkin' Donuts every exactly, time. Yeah. 
But, like, also, what are you dunking? I mean, right. I, know, I know that you're Dunkin' Donuts, but, like, if I didn't know that you're Dunkin' Donuts... The next generation will never know. Yeah. Poop, poop. <laughs> no. Swish, swish. Swish, swish. Like, that's not... So, anyway, but, like, I'm sure, like, everyone in the, like, Northeast is like, yes! Yeah. I, I offended the membership office yesterday with <laughs> with my take on Dunkin' Donuts coffee, and... It wasn't a, it wasn't offensive. Caitlin doesn't like Dunkin' Donuts. I don't Donuts, care for it. And I'm kind fine. of obsessed, so. Yeah. But, but your beef is not with the donuts. Your beef is with the... Right. My beef is not with the donuts. Um, Even though the, the America Munchkins. runs on Dunkin'. Yeah. America apparently runs on Dunkin'. Um, I just... I don't care for it. But see, we've all just, like, <laughs> called it Dunkin' this whole time, even exactly. though we were just talking about how they're changing their name, and that's crazy. Right. So, like, I appreciate the name change. I don't really understand why. Like, why did Dunkin' Donuts feel like they needed a rebrand? Keep up with the younger generation, I guess. But, like, Everything's Dunkin supposed Donuts, to be cool in a one-click shot, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, like, this hasn't worked out for, like, what if Taco Bell just changed their name to, to Taco. Taco or Taco. Bell? Yeah. <laughs> or, I like... Was- Burger King. Yeah. Just Burger Yours King. was way better. I was definitely going to be like, like Nordstrom. They would just go by Nord. do that you're not wrong nordstrom would never change their name to nord <laughs> or strum yeah <laughs> or strum. God, those ads would be so awkward it would be... shop at nord yeah it would be crazy like, but that, I, that's so like my point remains like it would be weird and crazy and i guess what i'm saying is i don't get it Duncan if it ain't does. broke don't fix it yeah, yeah. right isn't that it mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay all right well i feel like this is a good this is a good moment to uh say that this is the end of Random Identifier for <laughs> today's episode of Text Mom. Okay, guys, that's it for Text Mom. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And, of course, we want to give a shout-out to Brad Goodall, who composed our podcast Awesome Music. Thank you, Brad. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And of course, we'd love a rate and review. That's all for today, folks. Everyone say bye. Bye. bye.